You're listening to Double Edged Sword, the podcast channel of Pastor Kilgo, where we dig into the Holy Scriptures to be instructed in the truth, to stand in the light, and have eternal life. May you be richly blessed by the Lord and His Word. Hey, dear saints, this is the text and sermon for Trinity 16. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. A reading from 1 Kings chapter 17. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill, and his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, Give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper room where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow whom I sojourn by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. The Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord is in your mouth and is truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Reading from Ephesians chapter 3. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with his power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the seventh chapter. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearer stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread throughout the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let us pray. O Lord, we pray that your grace may always go before and follow after us, 
that we may continually be given to all good works. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. In the name of Jesus, Amen. Dear Saints, it was a strange and dreadful strife when life and death contended. Two processions meet, the first traveling along with Jesus. They are coming from Capernaum, having just healed the servant of the centurion who confessed that Jesus, having all authority in heaven on earth, could simply speak a word and heal the man's servant, even without being in the same vicinity as him. All he must do is declare it to be so, and it was done. This crowd, still marveling over the healing of the servant, follow Jesus into this little town of Nain. The second procession is leaving Nain for the graveyard. They are carrying on their shoulders the body of the widow of a son. Her husband had already died, now her son had died as well, and she was therefore without anyone to support her. This death meant more than just added sorrow for her heart, it also meant likely her own death. And so we have this funeral procession heading out, accompanied by a crowd as well, all those who through fear of death have been subject to lifelong slavery. It was a strange and dreadful strife when life and death contended. And the two processions meet, and neither will move. We all know what's supposed to happen when you come across a funeral procession. You're supposed to move to the side. You watch in respect as the dead are taken by their loved ones to rest in the tomb. But Jesus doesn't do that. He stands in the way of the procession, blocking its path, stopping this march of death, because Jesus is not willing to let death pass by unaddressed. And so Jesus tells this woman to cease her crying, for in his compassion he will bring her son back to life. In watching this all happen, the crowd is struck with great fear, fear of standing in the presence of Almighty God, who alone has power to raise the dead, fear of what this might mean for them, but fear which also resulted in their worship of God, as they glorified him, saying, A great prophet has risen up among us, and God has visited his people. There was no doubt in these people's minds that they were indeed standing before the living God. We have this morning also the account of the raising of the son of the widow of Zarephath. We know as well of the raising of Jairus' daughter. We know of the raising of Lazarus. But we must remember at the outset that these events of the Lord raising the dead in his compassion are not common events, even in the life of Jesus. The tombs of those in the graves are not opened every time he walks by. He only calls Lazarus out of the grave and not the others. And so we have to remember that we do not have the promise of our Lord that he will do for our loved ones that which he does in our texts this morning. We should remember also, though, that this does not mean that he doesn't have compassion on us if he does not right now raise our loved ones, for even these who, whom the Lord has raised, even this son of the widow of Nain, would eventually die again. But they also have the same promise that we do, that on the last day the Lord will raise us all, and not momentarily, but for eternity, for he has compassion on us all to bring us not into a second temporary life, but into a full and eternal life. The bigger and more important thing to consider here, though, is that there is a fear that grips us all which the Lord would have stripped away from us, and this is the fear of death. The Lord does not want us to fear death. The devil, though, does. That's the point of the preacher to the Hebrews when he makes this marvelous proclamation 
since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. It is the devil who has the power of death. Not the power to control death, but the power to use death like a club, the power to wield death like a great weapon against the Lord's creation. And the chief power that he wields with it is fear. Fear that we're going to die. The devil convinces us, and he's rather good at this, that the worst thing that can possibly happen to us is that we die. Not that we enter into unbelief, not that we despise God or his preaching or his word, but that we die. But the devil, dear saints, is a liar. He always lies to you because he desires nothing other than your destruction. Death, in fact, is coming for us all, whether we want it to or not, whether we live in the best health or not, whether we exercise every day, eat well, take supplements, get sunshine, no matter what. Because we have all sinned, and the wages of that sin is death. We are all going to die. The Lord promises that to us, and the Lord always keeps his promises. But the Lord also desires that we do not fear death, but rather that we prepare ourselves to die well, that is, to die in the faith. That's why we pray, deliver us from evil. That's why we pray, Lord, lettest thou thy servant depart in peace. And that's why we sing, teach me to live that I may dread the grave as little as my bed. Teach me to die that so I may rise glorious at the final day. And the Lord desires that we do not fear death because it's something he himself has gone through. It's a reality which he himself has tasted, as he makes propitiation for all people. It's something he himself has suffered as he endures the temptations of the devil for our sake. But it's not just something that Christ has suffered in our place. It's something Christ has also defeated for us. Christ has gone into death, but death cannot hold him. Christ has punched death in the mouth so that its bite is gone. Christ has defeated death by dying, but also by coming back out of death. And therefore, the devil can no longer use our death against us to drive us to despair or fear or torment, because we know first that death does await us, but also that death is temporary, and in fact the means by which our Lord brings us out of this veil of sorrows and to himself in eternity. It was a strange and dreadful strife when life and death contended. The victory remained with life. The reign of death is ended. Destroying death, Christ took the crown from death's pale brow forever. Stripped of power, no more it reigns. An empty form alone remains. Its sting is lost forever. And so now in Christ, death cannot slay me. Though it might day and night trouble and dismay me, Christ has made my death a portal from the strife of this life to his joy immortal. The narrative starts with two crowds gathered and processing in opposite directions, one a crowd of death and the other a crowd of life. But the two crowds in the end are joined. There is no longer a procession of death and a procession of life, but one only of life. Such a crowd, we can't imagine, was not only fearful of being in the presence of the eternal God, who has power over even death in the grave, but also joyful. 
For this God had come not in terrors as the king of kings, but kind and good with healing in his wings. He had raised this young man back from the death. He had brought peace and comfort back to his mother. He had brought joy back to the crowd who was in mourning. And such a crowd then knows what it means to laugh at death. After all, if you worship a God who can undo death, why wouldn't you laugh at it? Its sting is gone. Its power is destroyed. Its fear and its reign is ended. And the devil who through the fear of death has kept countless people captive can no longer use your death against you. And yet we, dear saints, have something even greater than this crowd. We have the living and eternal God with us always unto the end of the age. We have our Lord, who is the God, not of the dead, but of the living, and who has through his word brought us out of death to life. We have Jesus, who has buried us in baptism with himself so that we would be raised with him also, who has made us alive together with him in the declaration that your sins are forgiven, and who has fed us with the life-giving medicine of his body and his blood from the altar. And so laugh to scorn the gloomy grave, and at death no longer tremble. He, the Lord who came to save, will at last his own assemble. They will go the Lord to meet, treading death beneath their feet. And this is such a wonderful and incredible gift that our Lord gives to us that we can scarcely imagine it. We can imagine the Lord giving us food daily or giving us clothing or home or good weather or all sorts of other things because we experience them. We have a little harder time imagining that the Lord would give us forgiveness of sins, but even that we do experience in the words of the absolution and in the waters of our baptism and in the body and blood given to us at the altar. And we experience it when we are forgiven by our friend or family member or neighbor and when we ourselves forgive those who sin against us. What is almost impossible for us to imagine, however, is that death is undone, that we will come back out of our graves after only a little rest. It's hard for us to imagine laughing at death when it is undone in eternity because none of us have ever experienced it. Yet. But the Lord has. And the Lord has promised to give to us all that is His. His righteousness, His forgiveness, His mercy, His death, and also His resurrection. So though we might have a very difficult time imagining death as a sleep from which we will be awakened, we can nevertheless confess it as one of the great mysteries of the faith, but a mystery that is promised with full and complete assurance from our Lord, who does not lie, and who will give us all good things. Thus St. Paul reminds us that even if we're praying for something beyond our ability to think of, we do so nonetheless trusting in his word to give it to us. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Amen. And so we believe, and so we confess, and so we pray, and so we sing. Thanks to thee, O Christ victorious. Thanks to thee, O Lord of life. Death hath now no power over us. Thou hast conquered in strife. Thanks because thou didst arise and has opened paradise. None can fully sing the glory of the resurrection story. Thou hast died for my transgressions. All my sins on thee were laid. Thou hast won for me salvation. On the cross my debt was paid. From the grave I shall arise and shall meet thee in the skies. Death itself is transitory. I shall lift my head in glory. In Jesus' name, amen. 
the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to Double-Edged Sword. If you appreciate the channel, please consider supporting it by going over to my Patreon page, which you can find linked in the description. You can also find other content on the YouTube channel. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time.